Good morning. I'm Landon Harding. I'm the new uh, director over at the Wesley Foundation at WKU. Um, I also serve as a children's pastor at Franklin First United Methodist just down the road. Um, And more than that, and this is probably how most of you will remember me, I am uh, Christina Harding. You're all children's pastors, one of them. Uh, I'm her husband. And so um, I'm pretty connected uh, to you all, but this is so exciting uh, for me just to get to share and worship with you um, and preach uh, today. Um, I wanted to share just a few facts about me Um, I think that really helps the room get to know someone because most of you have never seen my face or know me. And so I just, I share these few things. Some are important and some may not be important. You can decide which is which. Uh, But number one, my favorite food is sushi. Um, I also ironically have a dog uh, and her name is Sushi. Um, Number two, I was baptized in the Methodist church. in Southern Illinois a long time ago, almost 30 years. Um, I guess that's not so long ago, but 30 years ago. And then my dad became a United Methodist pastor and actually serves just down the road at Russellville Temple. Um, After a long voting process, me and my closest group of friends, we decided to become lifelong fans of an NFL team. We had all like been kind of like cheering for our own teams. And we said, we wanna cheer for uh, a team together. So six years ago, uh, we did this voting system and we became lifelong Chiefs fans, uh, which has worked out really well. So go Chiefs. Um, I love football in general, but um, I'm... I've been really having a good couple of years with that. Um, I was once booed out of Rupp Arena. Um, it was a college game day between Florida and UK. I dressed full Louisville gear, walked down to the bottom, and it was just, it, it erupted. It's about half full. Everybody booed me, and then they kind of like, were pretty mean. And so I like went up the stairs and there's a YouTube video of me walking up the stairs, getting booed at Rupp Arena. And here's the kicker. I was in seventh grade. Um, so that should tell you uh, what kind of uh, person maybe is preaching with you today. Uh, I have been on Family Feud with my family, not once, but twice at two episode stints. That's just like an interesting thing. I've served in ministry for 11 years since I was 19 years old, two in camp ministry at Camp Lucon, Um, one as a local pastor of two small churches just outside of Richmond, eight in youth ministry, Um, and four of that was as as an associate as well at Memorial United Methodist Church at E-Town, and then now I'm serving in college and children's ministry this year. Um, I uh, have the cutest kid in the entire world. I saw a clip of Adam talking about him winking. His name is Grayson. He is, I know that I'm biased um, because it's my kid, but he seriously is like the cutest kid in the entire world. Um, and I have the most amazing wife. Seriously, best person I know, not just like in ministry, but like literally the best person that I see Jesus in every single day. Um, and I know she is loving your children with the ferociousness of, of grace and love and all that she is created to be in Jesus. So take care of her and support her and love her, um, please. Um, this is the first time we've not really been in the same church and that is, it's really hard. Um, we actually got to work together um, really since like the second week we started dating. I do not suggest this to anybody else, but I had become a youth pastor and when, 
she was a PK and we like had sort of started talking. I was like, hey, you should come hang out and work with my youth group. Um, it could have gone really bad, but it was awesome. And we have served together ever since in certain capacities. Lastly, I'm excited just to worship with you all this morning. Um, Adam kind of told me um, and invited me to come preach and told me about this series of Colossians. And I love talking about the fullness of Jesus. It's always been something close to my heart, always something I share, always something I try to communicate in what I do and where I'm at. This is important. John 10, 10, um, it's just a verse that I like read early and have continued to read and think about the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that message, even as a young kid, I understood was so important and that sometimes we as the church forget to live out, to share, to talk about that this life Jesus has given us is not just this amazing life in heaven, which is promised and given and granted to us, but it is this beautiful, amazing, full life in Jesus that starts the moment we start following. That life, that full life is for right now. And we've got to capture this, not just for ourselves, but for our, our neighbors and our community, for college kids at WKU who need to know that the Jesus that I know is enough and is full and is a part of this amazing life he has granted us. I mean, if you weren't here or didn't listen or just forgot kind of about the book of Colossians, the scripture that was read does a pretty good job of summarizing it, but I'm gonna just touch on the pieces. Um, I've been following along the online sermon. Um, if you don't do that, I wanna encourage you to. There is something really cool about hearing a sermon series from start to finish, and especially something that, like this with the book, um, about 1900 years ago, when they would meet for church, it would be in a room and it wasn't like, hey, let's take out like one little scripture. It was like, we read the entire letter in one sitting and then we talk about it as a church community. And it's really cool that you have that ability if you're here to hear the fullness of, of a book like Colossians, but also if you're away and travel. So check that out, listen to that. It's, it's good for you. Um, but I'm really excited uh, about the book of Colossians because it talks about this fullness. And it starts, it begins by talking about the cosmic enoughness, the magnificence of Jesus, his, his life and death and resurrection, that that is not just a small thing. It's not just a helpful thing. It's not just like a good thing. It's not just where we get our name as Christians, but it is the thing that shifted the course of human history. It is the singular thing that we uh, uh, can, if we start to understand shifts who we are as people. Jesus was the first of this new humanity and through him, we can walk those steps into this full and new life. And when we start to understand that, how big and amazing the fact that Jesus started this new wave through his life, death, and resurrection, the more we understand that in our life, the more it starts to shift as, as who we are as people. The core of us starts to change from I am not enough where almost every single person in the world starts. Everything we do, all that we think about, all that we try to achieve, all that we pursue starts from this place of I am not enough. 
But when we understand the fullness of Jesus, the magnificence, the beauty, the big cosmic enoughness of Christ, it shifts where we're starting from I'm not enough to Jesus is enough. And that shift begins to pour out in other areas of our life. Instead of worry and fear and anger and pride and selfishness ruling our life, which is where all of us start or all of us end up at, we get to have our lives ruled by the peace and love and mercy and joy of Christ. And our core continually shifts from this and and it goes deeper or I guess outward into our behaviors as well. And and we go from a place of legalism and I've got to follow these rules and do what's right because I have to be a good person. It shifts from that to a place of, of truly living the way Jesus does. It goes from behavioral management, which is how most of us live our behaviors. We, we're trying to just be good people and, and, and kind of get our behaviors okay And it goes from a place of changing the condition of our heart. That's what the fullness of Jesus does. It shifts our condition of our heart instead of just behavioral management. And when our condition of our heart starts to change, our outward behavior starts to change. Last week and the week before, chapter three of Colossians really gets into this. And it says, hey, all of these behaviors that come out of a place of I'm not enough, Leave those behind and start to walk into the behaviors and the life that Jesus is enough. And it shifts us in every relationship we have starts to shift from where it was of I'm not enough to Jesus is enough. And that impacts our daily life. And then we get to chapter four, where it's even broken down to the most small insignificant interactions and how the fullness of Jesus, when we understand it from this macro level, comes all the way through our life. And it, and it comes out and is experienced in the smallest moments. And, and Paul starts um, uh, uh, talking about this. And, and this is kind of the first point. We experience the fullness of Jesus through the most basic spiritual practices and disciplines. In verse two, he says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. When we're living this life, this full life that Christ provides, the condition of our heart starts to shift and we start to live each day connecting with our heavenly father, spending time listening and learning from Jesus And it comes through these spiritual disciplines. Prayer is the one listed here and Paul is showing a practical way that we might experience the fullness of Jesus in our life is through this practice of prayer. And we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus read the Bible or scrolls that contain scriptures of the Old Testament, but he he read it, he studied it, he memorized it. He taught, he preached, he prayed, he practiced Sabbath He got away from everything going on and and practiced solitude and silence. He practiced all of these spiritual practices, this, this disciplines. And he didn't do so out of a place of legalism, but out of a place of love. If our heart's going to shift, we need to be spending time with our heavenly father and our church community. We need to be doing the things that Jesus did. It's not a checklist of good things to do. 
It's not a sh- out of sheer obligation where I wake up and I say, I've got this spiritual practice I've got to do. I've got to check that off to be a good person. I've got to check that off to know Jesus. I've got to check that off so that people think that I am a good person. That's not the place that Jesus came at this. And it's not the place that Colossians has been telling us about. Sometimes we view these spiritual practices in that way of like, well, I've got to read my Bible. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you get to read your Bible. I've got to go to church. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you get to spend time with your church family. I've got to pray. I haven't been praying. No, no, no. You get a connection with your heavenly father. See, it doesn't come from this place of legalism. It comes from this place of love. And when we approach spiritual practices, even the most basic is prayer, communication. When we approach it out of a place of love, it's not that we get to the place of fullness. It's not a a tool to take us from here to, to walk us into the good life, to make us good enough to receive the good life. The prayer is the good life. The reading of God's word is the fullness of Jesus. Spending time worshiping with one another when we're worried about our pastors or what's going on, that is the fullness of Jesus. It doesn't just lead to the full life. It is the full life. And Paul continues, we experience the fullness of Jesus in our most basic interactions with others. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Paul expresses that the most basic interaction we have with others, conversation, communication, even in that we experience the fullness of Jesus and it's every single day, it's, it's the people you work with. It's the people you walk by on the side of the road. It's the people you're waiting in line at, at shopping. It's the people who cut you off in traffic. It's the people who, who maybe you feel like you're not getting the service you need uh, at, at a restaurant. It's those opportunity, those moments when we can experience the fullness of Christ. It's, it's even when people disagree or we face opposition or, or they don't like our po- politics or they don't like our theology or they don't like something about us or, or they're unfairly treating us. Even in those moments, even in those opportunities of conversation, we have the ability through Jesus to experience his fullness. The cosmic enoughness of Jesus changes the very core of who we are. And when that core starts to change, it shapes the big behaviors and it shapes the small. Sometimes we look at our actions and say, I have to treat people with grace and love out of this responsibility. I have to treat people with grace and love so that people view me as a good person. I have to treat people with grace and love so that I can receive God's love. That's not what the book of Colossians has been talking about. That's not the fullness of Christ. No, the reason we treat others with grace and love is because we are so full of Jesus. Jesus. 
that it pours out of us. It's not about doing these things to to become this good person. It's about doing these things because we come from a place of love. Our core is not about who we are and that we're not enough. Our core is that Jesus is enough. And when our, 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 our understanding of that, our love starts to pour out of us and it's not legalistic behaviors, but it's a way of life that Jesus walked and that he invites us to walk. Not legalism, but love. And as the book concludes, Paul says something about chains twice. And, and the last time it really made me think of why would Paul say, I'm writing this out of my own handwriting? And why, why would he include, remember my chains? If you were going to conclude the entire book of, of Colossians, the fullness of God, why did he choose those words? And I sat and I thought and I kind of pondered this. And I think it's the last lesson that he's sharing about the fullness of Jesus here in this letter. And it might be one of the hardest things for us to hear, the hardest things for us to understand, and certainly the hardest thing to live out. We can experience the fullness of Jesus in every circumstance, even in our suffering. Can being the important word because often we as humans let our circumstances define whether we're full or not. It's a part of our human condition. We tie our fulfillment to whether we have circumstances that are favorable or circumstances are not. And so when it's good, I'm full. When it's bad, I'm empty. And this is just a little bit about me, but how many of you are sports fans yourselves? Or how many of you know, like one of those diehard sports fans, the ones who sit in the living room, right? And you're coaching and yelling at the refs and you get really, really invested. Um, I'm like that often. I'm not mean. I'm objectional. I know when the refs make a missed call and I know when they don't, you know. I've got the good strategy that the coach just hasn't thought of. And so I, I try to share that through the TV screen. Obviously, if he could hear me, we'd be winning, right? But it's crazy that sometimes when my team loses, or if you're like uh, a UK fan, sometimes when your team loses, you might be a little upset. It's, it's a circumstance that's silly, that actually does not impact us or matter. And I'll be honest, we lost the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and it was probably like two weeks, maybe longer, that I was like processing that. That's a circumstance that is silly, but sometimes we tie ourselves to silly circumstances. And it's not just silly things. Our culture here, particularly in America, ties so much of ourselves and our fulfillment into entertainment, into success, into power, into money, into looking good, into being right, and having the correct political or theological background. And all of those things can be used and are a part of the fullness of God. But when we let those things determine those circumstances, which are so uneasy and can shake and change, when we let those determine our fulfillment, we end up empty when we don't have them. It's one thing to say Jesus is enough when circumstances are good. 
You know, when you come to church and maybe the pastor is different, you did not know who'd be preaching and they're a little weird, but it was okay. But then you go home and the weather's perfect. Beautiful fall day. And maybe your kids are home or maybe your grandkids are home and everybody's on their best behavior. There wasn't an argument before church and you have an awesome lunch. And then you go uh, ride with the windows down and you get your Starbucks, um, um, pumpkin spice latte, nothing wrong with that. I love a good pumpkin spice latte, but you get that and you just got a promotion last week and finances are good. You're, yeah, everybody seems to be succeeding and, and life's just good. And you can say like, glory to God, Jesus is enough. Awesome. Those are gifts from God. Even our pumpkin spice lattes. Those are gifts from God and we should be able and we should be saying that. But It's much harder when you're arguing with your family before church and then maybe after, maybe the next day and the next day and finances are tight and somebody at work got the promotion that you really deserve, that you work for, that, you, that everybody around you is saying, yeah, of course you should get this. You earn that and you don't get it. And you experience loss and grief, maybe you're going through some mental health issues and you're struggling with depression. Maybe there, there's been heartache and heartbreaks and unfair things and sickness and loss and life is not going your way. In those moments, it's much harder to say glory to God. Jesus is enough. But when you can, even in the middle of that grief, even in the middle of the, of the cries of the hurting and oppressed, even when it is hard, even when you don't feel it, but you can say Jesus is enough. There is a validity, an authenticity, and a witness that you bring to the table. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is not talking from a place of power and privilege. He's not talking from a palace. He's not talking from a place of having it all together. He's talking from a place of being chained up. He is not a king. He is a prisoner. And he's reminding people that, hey, this fullness of God is not just for those on top. It is for those on rock bottom. And when we start to live that out, there's a validity, an authenticity, and a witness to the world that needs to be shared that Jesus is in fact for all and in all. Not only is Jesus offered to every single person out there, everyone in every corner of the world, in every background, in every circumstance, in every place, Jesus is for all of them, but Jesus is also for every place and situation and struggle and loss and circumstance. And Jesus is not just enough in spite of our suffering. The fullness of Jesus is actually experienced in the middle of suffering. It doesn't mean that Jesus is causing those things. It's not that God is looking at you and putting you through these trials and, and tests. There is amount of free will that we have and others have because of the dignity God treats humanity with. And sometimes we abuse that. Most of the time we do. 
and we hurt ourselves and we hurt others. And there's a natural world that God has set up and it's, and it's, and it's hard to understand, but it, sometimes he intervenes and sometimes he doesn't. But there's, there's this sickness and, and natural disasters and all of these things. And sometimes we're like, if I could just get through this, then I can experience the fullness of God. Then I can experience the cosmic enoughness of Jesus. If I could just get through this season, but Jesus is looking at us saying, no, no, no. You can experience that fullness in the middle of your depression. You can experience that fullness in the middle of being angry with God. You can experience the fullness of Jesus even even in the worst circumstance because Jesus is actually enough. Second Corinthians, Paul talks about this a little bit more. He's, he's talking about a struggle he has. He doesn't even mention it, whether it's sickness, whether it's something he's going through, whether it's mental health, but he's, he's talking about it. And three times he's gathered with the church, had people lay hands on him. And he himself has like literally performed all these miracles and he's around all these miracles. And he's like three times we've gathered and we've prayed as hard as we can that this struggle is removed. And three times, nothing happens. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that. And then he told me this, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happening. I quit focusing on my struggle and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take my limitations in stride and with good cheer, those limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, and bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. A part of our weakness as humans is that we suffer. It's our limitations, it's accidents, it's bad breaks, things that don't have a reason why. Those are a part of our limitations here on earth. But even in the middle of that, even when we don't feel like it, even when we feel like we don't have the strength, we look around at our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, help. And we cry out and we say, Jesus, even though I don't feel it, you are enough. And when we can do that, something deep inside of us starts to realize that this in fact is true. Jesus' grace is enough. And it's all we need. And when we live that way, when we start to capture that, we become a witness to the world that the world needs. A.W. Tozer said it best, often the only way the world can see Christ is through revelation brought by the Christian's experience in the refiner's fire. Most of the time, people outside the world see Jesus as when the circumstances of our life don't make sense. And yet we still say Jesus is enough. My grandpa Bob has always been a person like this. He, growing up and, and still uh, when he can now, he went to this little country church with about eight pews. 
And the little country church always did prayer and praise concerns, but you didn't like insert them. You didn't do it online. You raised your hand in the middle of church and you talked. And every single Sunday I can remember from the time I was very little that I would go to church with him every Sunday. My grandpa, who was not a, a, an emotional man, who was actually pretty tough, worked with his hands his entire life, grew up Amish, like had a different worldview than most people would stand up would start to cry and just said, I'm thankful that Jesus' grace is enough. And I got to see that in every circumstance. And Grandpa Bob never had a lot. Grandpa Bob lost a lot of people. He did not have a life where his circumstances were always good. And even now, as he's in a nursing home with my grandma who, who suffered from dementia and it's really hard and, and, and they're in their late 80s and, and there's just so many health things. Even now, every time I see him, and he'll hold little Grayson and he'll just weep and say, Jesus is enough. And that witness has blessed not me, but my entire family and people who have come into contact with him. And every time we go to the nursing home, the, 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 the caretaker there is just, I just, he's just the sweetest old man. And I was like, you should have met him years and years ago because, <laughs> but he has this part of him that has learned this. And our families need this. Our community need this. Our students at WKU and, and, and in our youth service and in, in, in our children's programs, they need to know that, that Jesus is enough and we actually believe it. We're living in a, in a culture that is tired of hypocrites. That's tired of people not actually living the way Jesus said to live. It's tired of showing up at church and say, this doesn't make a difference. Why would I go? And, and the thing I would say, is that there are people and places and churches I know where Jesus has and does and still is. And so we have to share that. We have to live that out. We have to embody it even when it's hard. And we have to let the world that Jesus is enough. His grace is all we need. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you that you are with us always. It's not just the good. It's not just the wonderful things, God, but it is you who is here and is enough. If any of us are struggling, God, to see you, as we take this communion, as we participate in this act of grace, would you remind our core, our very soul, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time, that you are enough. Pray this in your holy name.